Hello, and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. New episodes are released every second Monday, and you can get them for free in iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher. You can also stream the show straight from soundofthemoment.com if you would like. Please subscribe to the show, leave a favorable review or rating, wherever it is that you do that and tell any friends you may have who might be interested in these kinds of conversations. All of those things are really helpful to me and much appreciated. There is also a Patreon campaign for uh, supporting the show from a financial standpoint. So if you go to patreon.com slash soundofthemoment or if you follow the link at soundofthemoment.com to Patreon, you will be able to make monthly donations to this show. Um, Obviously, the show is always going to remain free, but if you feel like you've got a couple of bucks to spare um, once in a while and you would like to help me cover the costs of making this show a reality, then uh, please consider going to patreon.com slash sound of the moment and I will be eternally grateful for it. If you would like to reach me with any questions or comments, you can do that via Twitter at Pat Cleaver or you can go to the sound of the moment page on Facebook or you can email me directly at pat at soundofthemoment.com. This is episode number 20 for the 16th of July, 2018. I'm afraid I've been recovering from a pretty bad cold, so you'll be able to hear the remnants of that in my voice during this conversation. Sorry about that. My guest is the drummer and percussionist Joost Leibart. He has several projects that you'll hear us discuss, but we'll start by hearing music from his latest project, I suppose, called Under the Surface, which features vocalist Sana Rambachs and guitarist Bramstadt Hauders, who you may remember uh, from an earlier episode of this show. So this is from their eponymous debut album, and it's called Above. of three minds, like a tree, in which there are three blackbirds.
the blackbird world in the autumn wind It was a small part of the pentamine Just heard music from my guest today, Jos Leibart, drummer, uh, percussionist, and band leader. Jos, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, I always like to start by asking my guests to introduce themselves a bit, uh, tell people a bit about who you are, your background, what you do, and stuff. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my name is Jos Leibart. Uh, I'm 
was born in Amsterdam, raised in Hilversum, where I actually went to primary school, high school, conservatory, graduated there in 1991, which is already uh, 26, 7 years ago. And so since then, I basically uh, keep myself busy with uh, playing, touring a lot, um, learning about new music. Uh, I was quite fast in my career involved in uh, musical entrepreneurship because I was and I am basically only interested in playing music which I really like with uh, the people I like which means that you have to do a lot of work yourself mm-hmm. so um, I played for 20 years which was from 1988 until 2008 with a trio from saxophonist Shuri Honing and with bassist Tony Overwater mm-hmm. we did a lot of different stuff with that band um, but Besides that, I also did a lot of other stuff, uh, uh, contemporary classical stuff, uh, more world music oriented stuff. Uh, I played in a lot of different bands from Yuri, uh, including an instrumental rock band we had, Wired Paradise, uh, a band uh, which was a blend between jazz and Arab music. Uh, called the Orient Express and for the last seven years in this quartet mm-hmm. and I have a lot of my own projects besides that yeah and obviously we're going to be discussing those um, but for yeah to, to maybe um, start with that a bit the relationship that you have with Yui Honing going back so many years um, that's something that I find fascinating because I feel like that's maybe quite unusual nowadays that people have such a long arc, um, so to speak, in um, a musical collaboration. Uh, how how do you feel like things have evolved um, between you guys? And also, like, how do you keep things fresh when you, you play with the same people for so long? That's a bit like how you keep your marriage fresh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you have to be creative. You have to... Uh, uh, find your own spot uh yeah i think in in i mean you have long-term uh collaborations between musicians like kijer trio for instance mm-hmm. um also han benning misha mengelberg played yeah. even longer than than we uh i mean playing a lot together uh doesn't mean that you that you spend 24-7 time together. <laughs> yeah. Because if that's the case, then it's kind of um, difficult to keep on with that. I think uh, I never thought about it, to be honest. It's just a matter of you play together because you... Uh, it's not like a commitment you make. It's more something what what's just happening because you both want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reasons to do that is basically music so if you if you are able to to keep the music fresh keep bands and new projects fresh and inspiring that's that's basically the only reason to do it um in general i always make uh jokes to people that i have a bit more uh, a pop music kind of approach uh, not in music, but in people, mm-hmm. um, than a jazz music approach. I mean, I'm a jazz musician. I'm coming from jazz and improvised stuff. I mean, I listen a lot to pop music and I like it. And uh, 
uh, I've a lot of interest in that. But the joke is always that pop musicians, they always stick together. They have one band. They don't do any other projects. And uh, on a certain moment, uh, they will become rich and famous. <laughs> yeah. And they have their own airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, jazz musicians, they play uh, always in a lot of different projects because they have so many interests and are so flexible in different um, settings. Um, if I see my own career, then, I mean, collaboration with Yuri is long, but, I mean, I think in my life I collect a musical family, uh, which actually means that you meet people along the way in your life that you think, hey, this is interesting, this this will fit. Um, my family is not so big. It's maybe 10, 15 people uh, I collected in the last 27, 30 years. Mm-hmm. But some people I don't play anymore, but they are still in my musical family. With others, I still play. Mm-hmm. And of course, Yuri is in this family, but uh, also pianist Wolfgang Brederode, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure also Bram Stadhouders and Sander Rambas. I play with them for three years now. Um, three years is for uh, somebody as Sander is pretty long, you know, be because she's only 23. Yeah, it's pretty um, much the entirety of her career at this point. Yeah, so. and for me it's just uh, three years, and I think it will go on for another 30 years. Mm. I'm pretty sure it will. And if I don't have the feeling when I play with people that it's not forever, it's probably not going to work out. It mm. doesn't mean that, I mean, sometimes projects, they stop. You know, uh, no. I, I was also in bands that I thought, okay, this will be forever. It stopped in a few years. But when we were playing, I was still convinced that it would go on forever. So yeah. that's that's my point. And that's a kind of pop attitude a bit. Mm. Uh, that's how I think that things work. And if you go back to how it works with Yuri, which is a long-term uh, collaboration, uh, then, of course, uh, you go through a lot of different uh, phases. Mm. Um uh, and a lot of different, uh, uh, um, yeah, time frames, uh, which means that sometimes things go super easy and it's sky high, great, and sometimes it's it's only boring and hard work. And sometimes you think, okay, I don't want this. Mm. Uh, but um, I think it's interesting. I'm 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 not really a quitter, so <laughs> uh, no matter in. Uh, my relations with people, but also in in my approach, if I want to book gigs, yeah. I never quit. So mm-hmm. if I think, okay, I have this idea, this is a nice plan, I just hold, yeah, I just keep on track until actually the gig is there. And sometimes it took me 10 years to get a certain gig. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm not, again, do this 24-7 then, but it, uh, I will not forget it. Yeah. Uh, and with people, it's it's pretty easy to walk away if if you are bored or if things are not nice. And if things really are not working out, of course you have to quit and you have to walk away. But um, if yeah, normally the people I choose to work with, uh, I think they are interesting in a way. And uh, uh, I think yeah, quitting you can always do. You know, but uh, if you go on, you never know what will happen, and that's interesting. Yeah, but so what would you, um, 
is there anything like in particular that you can identify about people um, that you think this is somebody that fits my musical family as you express it? Like, is there like specific qualities in all these different people that you've worked with over the years that you think? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, all the people I work with and people I like, they, I mean, it sounds a bit stupid, but they're different. Mm-hmm. Uh most of the time they're also not so easy to deal with and they can really think out of the box. So they are not doing what's already there. Mm. And that's basically what interests me. So uh, I like actually to be as much out of my comfort zone as possible when I play and when I travel uh, because there is the interesting stuff happening for me. You know, so if I... You have great players great people uh, who have a lot of control about what they do and they can do this in a perfect way and they do it um, always on the same way or so, so you know what will happen. Um, I'm not so interested in that. I'm always interested in in doing things with people that are different for me and for them. Mm-hmm. That's what interests me a lot. So that I go out of my comfort zone, but the other person as well. So you both come in a sort of new world uh, where you can disco- uh, discover things. And sometimes things go terribly wrong in a way, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's part of the deal, I think. Yeah. But so how does that, um, like, how do you reconciliate those two different aspects? On the one hand, playing with Yuri for, say, like 25, 30 years or however long it's been, and at the same time, wanting to stay outside of your comfort zone is there like any tricks that you guys have got to or is it just that the way you both play is somewhat uncomfortable i mean i'm uh, i feel like it's hard you can't play with somebody for that long and not develop a certain like a certain comfort zone right like how do you push yourself out of it then Uh aha yeah yeah i got it um yeah that's a good question it's uh you know going out of your comfort zone is uh basically always a uh, a matter of digging. Mm-hmm. So when you are on a stage, you have to dig to find something new. And um, I mean, with Yuri, of course, I know how he plays and he knows pretty well how I am sounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty easy to make each other sound very good uh, uh, and to please each other, for mm-hmm. instance. And what is interesting is that we are both and also the other people I'm working with are not interested in pleasing. Mm. So if you start to please people, you play what you know and you know that it's cool. Mm. Um, I mean, if you if you compare to pop music, you know, then uh, of course you want to please. You want to play your songs in a certain way and you want to do it as good as you want. But I spoke actually quite recently to a drummer uh, who plays a lot of pop music and he told me, well, um, in pop music it's actually the same goal. Maybe you play the same fill every time, but you want to make it sound like it's for the first time. Mm. You want to play it in a way that you actually discover the fill on the spot. And that's basically also a way of digging and making the music special. So, and that's also out of of your comfort zone in a way because you, you want to do it as if it's the first time, which mm-hmm. is super difficult if you did it already for 3,000 times. Yeah, of course. So in in uh, in our music, 
uh, in a way, this is easier because we never know how the music will go. And uh, um, with Yuri's band, we play his compositions, mm-hmm. which have a certain structure and a certain form, and we did it many times. So we we always have a direction to start, but it's still super open. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, Yuri is for sure somebody who always uh, tries to find a new way to play the same song, uh, to find new harmonies, to not to play. And uh, the band is super flexible. So the music is also in a way that it's always different. But is that, um, I mean, to speak specifically about repertoire, like do you, um, because obviously Yuri has gone through various stages of various different projects and various project names and, and concepts and stuff. Like, is there repertoire that has carried over over that that long? That there's certain things that you can still go back to years later and still perform it, or is it? I feel like nowadays we've reached a point in like the business of jazz music where you have to make an album every year or two years, and you have to present a new show, and it has to be a new thing. Like, is that something that that Make sense in Yuri's approach, or are you managing to find a different way to deal with that? Yeah, yeah, it's a funny thing that you mentioned this. I mean, with the quartet, we go actually in the time frame what's now, uh, making every one and a half, two years a new album with a new concept, new tunes, mm-hmm. and we play the tunes. Yeah. Uh, so, in that case, the answer is no. <laughs> but uh, I had an interesting gig. In January uh, at the Murakami Festival, this Japanese writer in uh, Rotterdam, yeah. we played on a boat and we played trio mm-hmm. uh, with Yuri, me, and Gulli Goodmanson, the bass player from the quartet. Yeah. Uh, basically, the reason we did not play a quartet was because there was not a piano. <laughs> so Yuri and Yuri thought, okay, we just play trio. And then we started to play uh, tunes from the trio of Yuri, uh, what we actually did play. Uh, yeah, already 20 years ago. Yeah, the early 2000s or something. Like the old yeah. stuff. And then we played it and it was super cool. Yeah. It was actually, uh, uh, I mean, I, I want for sure not compare myself to the great jazz musicians, but there was once an interview with Herbie Hancock about um, the VSP band. Mm-hmm. So uh, Herbie played with his Headhunters in the 70s and he came from Miles. And then uh, you have this album, Tempest in the Colosseum. And uh, there he was featured as an artist. So he played uh, with a quintet, which was the old Miles Davis quintet, but with Freddie Herbert on trumpet. Yeah. Uh, and and he, but also Tony Williams, uh, who was playing with Lifetime before that, his own band, they all had the same idea. They thought, well, the the, the freedom we feel on this moment is so incredible. You know, we, we didn't play this music for quite some time, and now we do it again. We play Maiden Voyage, we play Eye of the Hurricane, what we did in the 60s. Now we do it in Elvis from 78, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, 15 years later. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But they they had all the, the, uh, the, the luggage and the knowledge of what they did uh, in the jazz rock time as well. And then they, they went back to their roots, you could say so. Mm-hmm. And they discovered new things that uh, that what I felt a bit during that concert reminded me a bit of this. Mm. However, these musicians are from a total different level, of course. And uh, But that's not my point. It, yeah. My point is more um, 
the feeling what you can have that you think, hey, hey, we play this old tune. It sounds totally new and everything works out. It fits. And I have all these new ideas, but I also still feel this, this uh, safe zone in a way that I know how we can do it, but I will just decide to do it totally different or something. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. a bit of feeling. Yeah. But so like that was a one-time concert, I guess, but is that something you would consider actually like pursuing as... And now, you know, we're going to make a revival project of 20 years ago, we played this music and this is what it sounds like now. I mean, it, like the parallels that you draw are interesting because I suppose if you look at like Wayne Shorter's quartet, for example, that's very similar, right? They still play footprints and stuff and it's it's a 50-year-old uh, yeah, tune yeah, yeah. now, right? Um, yeah, I think with Yuri's quartet, we, we are not planning to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had with the trio, um, uh, basically our most famous trio album was called Star Trek from 1996 where we actually played pop tunes but like mm-hmm. a bit the corny forbidden stuff yeah like Blondie Abba the police yeah like the white West European stuff um, we had for a long time an idea to make a sort of reunion record for that but <laughs> it's still not happened maybe we will do it in 40 years or so yeah <laughs> and I mean Wayne is already in his 80s now yeah um, it's a bit um with playing tunes or so, uh, I'm now more in the moment that I want to do new stuff. I like to create new music, to write new music or think about new things we can do, we can play, new sounds. And uh, that what happened with the trio was a cool thing, you know, and it's uh, it's nice to do that sometimes besides all the other stuff you are doing. Yeah, no, sure. Um, yeah, maybe we should, uh, move on, I mean, to the, uh, well, first of all, the music that people have actually heard already, um, which is from your own project under the surface. Yeah. Um, yeah, first of all, maybe you can talk a bit about like the, the interesting way this, this project came together. It's quite an unusual story, I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very unusual. It's, um, okay. What happened was basically that, um, uh, 2000, 15, I think it was, uh, a bit in January or February, I got an email from a girl, and this was uh, Sana Rambas, mm-hmm. um, and she actually said, yeah, you don't know me, but uh, uh, I'm invited to do a concert for Bojas, which is an organization in Breda, mm-hmm. uh, to do a concert in uh, a club uh, and to play with two musicians and I could actually choose who I want to play with. Okay. Uh, and then she chose me and uh, Bram Stadhouders. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically the reason that she was choosing me was uh, because she knew me from Wolfert Brederode mm-hmm. and she knew I played a couple of times with uh, Swiss singer Su- Susanna Abwell. Yeah. She was totally into this kind of ECM sound mm-hmm. and she thought... Uh, uh, that would be a nice combination. She actually called also a bass player and some other players. The bass player couldn't make it. Okay. So uh, she actually asked me, well, what do you think? Shall we shall we play trio? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, yeah, sure, we play trio. That's great, you know. I mean, I like bass players, but I also like to play without the bass player. <laughs> so I take no offense. No, okay, um. that's great. So the, the table is pretty long between us. <laughs> Um, playing with the bass player is great, you know, and I played with many amazing bass players and, and that's 
Wonderful. But um, if you play without a bass player, especially as a drummer, uh, you have to do different things, mm-hmm. which is interesting and it's a lot out of your comfort zone, what I like. Um, so we actually agreed that we would do the concert without a bass player. We did one short rehearsal. Uh, we basically played Tunes of Sonne, yeah. uh, one Johnny Mitchell cover, High Jaira, and uh, a couple of improvs, I think. Mm. And for me, that was immediately, I was so uh, amazed by how good I was sounding <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in, this, in this project. And also how good Bram and Sonne made me sound, actually. Mm-hmm. And I discovered all kinds of new stuff of my drums. And, and uh, I heard a lot of extra music which was not there and instruments and, and more percussion and a whole it was like a door was getting open to a whole new universe or so hmm. especially for me but i think they had the same kind of feeling hmm. so we played a couple of more concerts then i uh, uh booked a sort of uh recording uh, just to rehearse a bit and do this for fun mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the recording studio, we recorded a, a concert. We still played tunes. And then after the concert, we could improvise a bit. And then we improvised a bit until very late in the night, until mm. two or so. And, and the more we improvised, the more we thought that the, the music was actually sounding better. <laughs> and then you can do this sometimes in the middle of the night with a lot of alcohol and then you think okay it's nice and then you hear it back and it's totally crap yeah but in this case the music was for sure better and on the same moment i also was thinking of making a solo album mm-hmm. uh, already for a couple of years so yeah. making a solo album with only drums okay uh, I had some ideas for grooves and melodies, percussion, all kinds of stuff. Mm. But making a solo drum album can be pretty abstract in a way. And it's, yeah, my idea was actually to improvise. Mm. Uh, and uh, I was more and more intrigued by doing total improvisation and just to see what happens. I did this quite a lot in my practice room already alone, but then we could do it with the three of us. Mm. It was even more fun. Uh so then I actually had the idea, okay, I want to make an album with Bram and Sonne uh, because I think it's super special what we do. I also had the idea that uh, when we started to do this, to improvise, um, it sounded super urgent and also very new in a way. And for me, I mean, we now did already almost 100 concerts in many countries in the last two and a half years, three Mm. years. But it still sounds super urgent and new. So that's a good sign. But um, I thought, okay, I don't want to wait uh, with record. So Mm. normally with a band, you want to do more, try out gigs to nail really the music and know what you want to do. In this case, I thought, no, I want to do it soon because I know it's so fresh now and I'm afraid that the freshness will go away, which did not happen. But uh, so I basically booked a studio uh, and then uh, I started to walk a a lot in the forest and thinking a bit about what we actually could record. Mm. So I did not compose any music for it. I just had ideas for sketches. So a sketch could be like a rhythm 
uh, or a sketch could be maybe one chord to start with, or a sketch could be a certain kind of mood or atmosphere, or maybe a text or a poem from Sonne. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. Um, that was quite some work in the studio. I was pretty uh, nervous about it because, mm. I mean, it, it could easily go horribly wrong. Yeah. Uh, to feel a bit more safe, I did it in the studio in Wisselort in Hilversum with an engineer I know for many years, Diamond Zinkan, mm. who's almost half a producer and, and he knows me so well. And I even uh, asked Wolfert also to be in the studio just to listen yeah. and to give some advice. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a very good idea. And then uh, we did a lot of improvisations. Then I started to listen back to a lot of tracks. Uh, and finally, uh, it worked out to make an album out of that, which actually had one kind of atmosphere and one kind of mood. Mm. That's what I wanted with that album. Then we released that album in March 2017, I think. Yeah. So that was one and a half year ago. And then I actually could not uh, see in the future what would happen then. But uh, I never did an album under my own name. I, I did a couple in the past, mm. which was so successful. Uh, I don't feel it, by the way, actually as my band anymore. It's just mm. I started with it and I did a lot of organization work. But uh, it feels totally as a collective. But people really liked it. For Son, it was her first album. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, a lot of gigs actually came up. It was was pretty easy to sell the project in a way. Mm. Well, if you sell, yeah, like an improvised music trio, it can be kind of difficult. The first gig, uh, the first big gig we were booked was actually Festival Sur le Niger in Segou in Mali. Mm -hmm. I was never in Mali and I tried this festival for 20 years already. Yeah. And then I just thought I was with Bram half a year before that in Colombia. Uh, and we were talking a bit, yeah, where, where should we play with the trio? You know, mm. what should be interesting? Yeah, yeah, Africa, cool, you know? Yeah. So I just called a couple of people uh, from my contacts what I knew. And I don't have so many contacts in Africa. The first one was was immediately bingo. They said, yeah, you can come. The festival is then and then. We pay mm. everything. So we went there for Sanne. It was her first trip abroad for music ever. Yeah. I mean, she was in Germany with uh, the National Youth Orchestra. That was six weeks before we went to Africa. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it was kind of an experience. Yeah, uh, We went to Mexico, India, China, Norway, Switzerland, Colombia. We go to Lebanon next week. So... Yeah. Uh, Traveling with them was super cool. Mm. Also because, uh, I mean, that's another thing. We can talk later more about it, but I love to travel. So I'm uh, always looking for new places where I want to play. And for me, the more strange and uh, more out of the box, the places is where I can play, the better. Mm -hmm. That's most of the time what I like the most. I mean, I like to play... Of course, I like to play in Norway and Switzerland where everything is clean and well organized. <laughs> yeah, nice hotels and all that nice stuff. Nice hotel in <laughs> Japan. But I also, I mean, I had amazing concerts also in China on horrible places or mm. Egypt or Bolivia or Peru or Venezuela or Sri Lanka. Um, yeah. Because um, uh, it's nice to get lost in a way, get lost in the world, but also get lost in the music. And for mm. me, that's one kind of thing. And 
somehow that works also super well with the trio with Bram and Sanne. It's it's really a lot of fun when we are touring. We talk a lot. And the band is in a way very flexible because we don't need so much. It's only guitar through a computer with the vocals. Even the, the, the reverb of the vocals can go through the computer. Yeah. So we can even play on the street and still sound like under the surface. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a bit story. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's something that I'm... I mean, you talk about going to all these different places and playing this music and for all these different audiences. I'm always interested in, like, how people perceive the difference in, like, audience reception of the music that they play depending on where they play and who they play for. Um, and also, what do you think it is about this music that has appealed to so many different people and different cultures? Like, it, it seems to me like there is somewhat of a like world music aspect to what you do, which like you can't exactly nail down what specific culture it might be from. Um, although I feel like this kind of, you know, like Scandinavian influences and stuff. And especially in what Sana does, there's like a, you know, like this kind of Sitzel Anderson, um, like yeah. Scandinavian singing, yeah. uh, thing. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, sorry, that's a bit all over the place, maybe, <laughs> as no, no, a question, but um, maybe you can speak a bit on that. Yeah, 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 good point. Uh, and I think also that's uh, basically an answer why it and was and still is uh, possible to play with this band on so many different places. I mean, it's not only the music, it's also because I want it and I, uh, I call all those people mm. and I try to convince them. But um, there is for sure uh, an aspect in the music which I call, I don't know actually the English word, but the Dutch is like ur music. Ur means actually roots, uh, fundament. Well, yeah. Yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. it probably. Yeah, yeah? I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. And um, I mean, there are obviously one-to-one uh, influences from... Uh, uh, Scandinavian uh, shamanistic singing. Mm-hmm. There are also African influences in it, or Indian, but also like jazz or uh, uh, modern electronical stuff. But that's basically the music. And I mean, we don't we don't play like African music, and we mm. don't play like like typical uh, 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 northern Scandinavian folk music. If you listen to that music, but it, it has some of these tastes and influences. I think what all those world music stuff has in common is this ur feeling so mm. it's actually not about the music but it's more about the feeling what the music actually uh uh tries to pump up so um if you i mean i'm listening a lot recently and and especially when we started with the trio to all kind of world music to mm-hmm. get kind of uh, inspiration. Yeah. And if you listen to, uh, let's say you listen to Sufi music from Rajasthan, or you listen to uh, music from the Colombian rainforest, or you listen even to, to music from uh, native uh, North Americans, or mm-hmm. you listen to music from Scandinavia, like this shamanistic singing. Um, the, the goal from most of this music is actually to call up the spirits. Mm. That's basically the the reason why they do it. It's not about that they say, "Hey, listen to this fancy, cool jazz lick I'm playing here." <laughs> it's basically it's it's even maybe not music. It's more sound mm. to call up the spirits, and the, this sound brings a lot of people in a certain trance, uh, and that's what they want. 
And I think that has a lot to do with what we are doing. Uh, of course, we are not Colombian Indians from the rainforest. <laughs> we are just three white people from Tilburg and Amsterdam. <laughs> we grew up in the Netherlands, you know. But um, I think that uh, trying to 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 be with your state of mind, uh, with your try to make your music in a certain way that you come into a certain state of mind. That kind of goal we we always have when we play or when we improvise. Um, then of course you can say, okay, every music has this. You know, if you if you go to a concert of Britney Spears, you can have the same. <laughs> And maybe people have this, you know. But for me, I think um, if you improvise and if you do this, uh, we always try to dig a certain thing out of it, out of the music to to reach this state of mind. And uh, most of the time, the audience is also coming into this state of mind. And we did already a lot of concerts in a lot of different countries. And I mean... If you would compare, let's say, Mexico to Mali to China, I mean, the people in those countries are for sure different. Mm. You know, it's total different culture, total different religion, total different food, total different geographic or political situation. But I think in general, uh, I traveled quite a lot to more than 90 countries and I met a lot of people. Uh, I think... People in general are the same all over the planet. <laughs> you have, of course, different cultures, but you have certain kind of type of people. <laughs> and if you meet a lot of people, you actually start to recognize people. Most people want the same in their life, uh, are looking for the same kind of desires, uh, are looking, are afraid for the same kind of things. And... Um, culture and, and and all kind of horrible wars or whatever, of course it has influence on people. But in essence, people want to experience things and people want to feel something. Um, so if you are able to let people actually feel a certain kind of thing, bring them in a certain kind of state of mind, I think that works everywhere mm. in a way. And I learned quite a lot of listening so much to to all this different music because on a certain moment you discover, yeah, what they try to do is actually the same as what we are doing. I mean, I've been also a lot in India with Yuri mm. uh, and we uh, uh, played a lot with Indians, with uh, Sufi singers from Rajasthan. If you hear them sing, it's basically blues, what they do. Yeah. If you if you hear guitar players from, from Mali, it's also blues. So you also have, besides of this, what I'm explaining, uh, you also have a sort of universal language in music. Yeah. You know, it's what we call in jazz, like if you if you are on the, uh, if you play a G, that always wants to go to C. Mm. But uh, with some people, they just wanted to stay on, on G. <laughs> and they, they don't go to a C. But um, in blues or in, uh, in certain kind of rhythms, there is a sort of universal language. So that's another thing. I think what we do. Yeah. But so, um, how, like, I'm interested in the aesthetics of the music itself. Like, um, it seems to me like it's very far from the kind of things that you do with Yuri. Um, there's, there's, there's quite a, a difference there. I feel, do you 
do you feel as though the reception has been like different in that sense? Like when you play with Yuhi or you play with, with Under the Surface, um, is that like the universality that I hear in, um, in Under the Surface feels like is there aesthetically, whereas in Yuri's thing, there's maybe a more defined aesthetic. Is that, is that a fair statement? I mean, every band is different. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, if I would compare it, then of course, if you play in, so let's say you're talking about Yuri, if you talk about this quartet, the band is built around him, about, uh, around his sound and his mm. compositions. Uh, and uh, that creates a certain kind of uh, uh, role for everybody, a certain kind of sound. Mm. I mean, my sound in the quartet is uh, more simple. It's more more addicted to drumming. Yeah. In a way, it's with a bass player. Um, uh, with the trio, I'm much more than only playing drums. I'm also making a lot of sounds. But, you know, the the feeling when I play, I don't think about that. So I don't feel restricted in a way. Mm. If I play in, in general, if I play with people, I mean, I starting to have a new project with uh, Wolf Braid Road in duo and the Matangi String Quartet, mm. which is a project with a lot of written out music and mm. a free role for me. Yeah. Uh, but of course, you will not do. I mean, I will not do the same as what I do with another service, and I will also not do the same as what I'm doing with Yuri. Yeah. But when I play, I don't think about that. I mm -hmm. just, I just play what I think that will fit the music. And if I would describe how I sound or how I play, I think I'm a kind of a drummer who always wants to participate in the music, not only in a rhythmical way but also in a melodic way or even in a philosophical way or whatever but mm. but I don't see drums as as a as a uh, instrument which is only related to rhythm I see it much more as energy in a way and yeah. colors and of course rhythm but every instrument has rhythm I think every instrument uh, no matter if it's drums or vocalist or whatever it's it's about energy it's about what you actually want to say in what kind of state of mind it will bring you and how you will reach this point and uh, every band speaks a sort of language i mean the musical language we speak with the quartet is a bit based on the compositions and we follow a certain direction i mean the, the musical language i speak with brahma sana is also a musical language based on certain ideas. Mm. And with the ideas, we actually developed uh, a musical vocabulary uh, and a musical language we speak. And we have all kinds of directions where we can go to. It's not like fixed pieces, but it's also not total free impro. Yeah. It's more like instant composing with certain elements we know. And sometimes we try to find something new and we don't find it. And then the searching process is interesting. And sometimes we, we choose couple of things we know so the music might sound different uh, and I as a drummer might sound different but uh, I don't feel it that way hmm. so you don't feel like um, like one project allows you to explore like what your own personal sound is more than another to, to a certain extent like it, it feels to me like when I hear you play with under the surface like the idea of like 
being more than a drummer, playing percussion, playing even pitch percussion, doing all these kinds of things um, is there's a lot more space in the, in a context like that to explore that than, than maybe there is in, in a band like yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, uh, that's true, of course. So in, in this case, you could say that that's a, also basically the reason why I started the band, hmm. uh, because I felt a need to explore this yeah. uh, in a certain way. Um, and, uh, I mean the whole pitched percussion thing and the whole sound thing. And I invested quite a lot in, like 20 different gongs and, and all kind of tuned wood blocks and, and all kind of other stuff. Uh, I like to do that. And uh, uh, I, I also heard it in my head. So in this case, uh, it's something I actually uh, feel um, as a thing what I uh, had to do in a way. In Yuri's case, music goes a bit more in... Uh, in a direction he thinks about uh, through the compositions. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, I also discovered there a lot of new stuff uh, for my playing. I, I try to improvise, to experiment a bit more with sort of pop sound, a lower sound and a very, very soft, mm. uh, different kind of symbols, different tuning. Uh, so yeah, it's different. Yeah, that's true. And is it something that you're now, that you can then through that exploration that you find things that you can then bring back into the other projects? Like, is it the, the, the space that you have, are you discovering things about your playing and things about your... Yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that will um, always happen, that, that uh, if you do a couple of different things, that the things uh, uh, start to uh, influence each other mm-hmm. in a way, uh, which means that... If I play more free stuff, I discover a lot of different sounds of the drum set and uh, a lot of different possibilities of playing and not playing. So it has a lot to do with space Mm. and with waiting and patience and try to see what comes out. For sure, that's something what also comes in other bands. So uh, the way I approach the drum set or play on the cymbals with sticks, hands, or different stuff that I bring that to the other project. I also used to play, um, this about 10 years ago, no, not five, six years ago, with uh, an uh, instrumental rock band. So I basically played extremely loud grooves, mm. which is totally not my thing, and I'm not so good in it. So I learned it actually mm. playing in this band. And again, it was totally out of my comfort zone. That was the reason I liked it. Yeah. Uh, what I discovered then was pretty easy that if you practice those stuff, it has a lot of influence on your bass drum technique, on, on uh, the way you play a hi-hat or the way you actually feel tempo in a way and the mm. way you hear dynamics. So yeah. that, of course, it has influence on, on other bands always. Yeah. Is there more like, um, I mean, you've mentioned now in passing the 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 a new project with, with Wolford. Um, is there more places that you're planning to go that will take you outside your comfort zone? Like, do you, I can imagine that your comfort zone must be like gradually like growing <laughs> and it must be hard, like quite difficult to find places you haven't been yet at a certain point. Yeah. Um, good point. Uh, starting a career as a big band drummer, maybe <laughs> that's as far as out of my comfort zone as ever, but yeah, I'm not there yet. No. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, uh, I'm 
uh, on this moment I'm also uh, uh, playing a couple of try-out concerts with uh, vocalist Sanne Huibrecht. Yeah. Might know her. <laughs> a bit of nepotism uh, <laughs> happening. Sanne being my girlfriend, for those that aren't aware. But yes. <laughs> and um, I mean, this is also uh, for me totally out of my comfort zone because it's kind of a sort of, uh, I play much more pitch percussion mm-hmm. and I'm not so good in that. Uh, so I'm learning that. I'm thinking a bit about how you can have a certain sound with only a vocalist and a drummer. Um, um, and yeah, I'm always very much interested in pop music in a way that it's that it's very empty and simple, uh, but that's sort of it feels very urgent. Um, it's something we just started, and it probably will take. A long time, but it's uh, uh, it's a new idea as well. And also playing with the string quartet and with Wolford. Mm. I mean, that's not so much out of my comfort zone because I played already with them and with Wolford. I have a duo already uh, for 13 years. Yeah. So we have really a, a sound together. Mm-hmm. That's easier. But um, I think there are always ways to to be out of your comfort zone. I was also thinking. Uh, I heard a great uh, drum exam from uh, Wouter Kuhne mm-hmm. uh, one week ago, and he he played his music, and then he ended the exam with playing uh, a sabar piece, which is only uh, it's one drum. It looks a bit like a conga, but you play it with uh, one hand and one stick. Yeah. It's uh, from Senegal. Mm. Uh, I've been in Senegal in 1988, so mm. that's some time ago, with a percussion group uh, from The Hague mm. and some teachers from the conservatory. Yeah. Um, that was totally out of our comfort zone in every sense. I think everybody, of course, uh, became ill, mm. seriously. Uh, we studied a lot, uh, music which was not ours. Uh, we tried to learn it. It was super hard, mm. super difficult. And uh, of course, we did not succeed. Um, and when I heard him play that, I thought, shit, this is interesting. I, mm. I want to do something with this again, maybe with this music. But I mean, it's also a matter of time. Yeah. You know, I've, I've now like five projects on the same time. Mm. Uh, who actually play and tour and uh, I have some new plans for an album I'm going to release a new trio album with Brown and Sonne yeah. which will be a, a live album so we are multi-tracking all the live shows we are doing yeah. for six months yeah. and then uh, in the summer I hope to make an album out of it that it actually is not sounding like a live album and a lot of different cool small pieces yeah. uh, but more like one one piece Cool. Um, there's the, I mean, there's another thing that we, I mean, obviously we've been sort of dancing around that idea a bit, but um, the idea of like entrepreneurship in music, and I know that you've been teaching that now, you're, you're both teaching in Amsterdam and Groningen, right? Yeah. Um, and specifically that besides also drums and those kinds of things. But um, I'm, I'm interested in that, the idea that I, I feel like, music entrepreneurship and like being your own booking agent and that kind of thing has uh is becoming more and more of a discussion point with the current generation whereas i feel like it maybe wasn't as much of a discussion point in uh, with your generation and yet here you are as like the prime example of somebody who has made his own career by um 
Maybe I'm making a completely unfair statement. I do, you, don't know. do you mean that in this generation with young people that they think that to be your own musical entrepreneur is like a dirty word? No, what I mean is I think that because of like the the access to the internet and all of this thing, like we've got to a point where if you do not, if you're not your own PR person, if you're not your own booker, if you're not your own thing, basically you don't get anywhere. And it seems like that's only recently that that has been accepted by institutions like conservatories, for example, that we need somebody like you to come in and teach students about this stuff because yeah. otherwise they don't get anywhere. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, well, when I studied, uh, I studied in the conservatory from 1986 to 1991. My teachers uh, had not really knowledge about musical entrepreneurship mm. because basically if you were a good jazz musician in the 60s, you had every day a gig. Yeah. Because there were people who had two gigs every day and made serious money with that. Yeah. Um, when I started, we started with the trio in yeah, 1987 or so. So I started to book gigs from then. Mm. Uh, my my examples uh, of other people who were doing that were uh, Ben van der Dungen and Jarmo Hogendijk, who had a quintet. And I think they were like the first uh, musical Dutch entrepreneurs in a way that they active started to call clubs okay. and festivals. They lived in a student house and they had a phone in the in the in the hall, like an mm. old-fashioned phone. Yeah, uh, and they just started to do that. Yeah. And, uh, because nobody was doing that back then. I mean, there was no internet or yeah. mobile phone or whatever, mm -hmm. so nobody was expecting this. Mm. Uh, and uh, there was not much. Uh, competition because nobody was doing it <laughs> yeah. so basically if you started to do that and then, then you had obviously a lot of gigs yeah so i started to do that and um in the first year i booked for the trio i think 60 gigs or so in the <laughs> netherlands um, so lack of competition is one reason but the other yeah. thing was also there were more places to play and there was more money mm. um, so if you compare that to present time there's a lot of competition. There are a lot of amazing players, a lot of super original bands with a great identity, uh, with everything what they need to be original and to be booked on festivals. Mm. Uh, so that's a problem. And um, uh, of course, we have the internet and the whole technical development, which makes it possible that all the people in the world have access to the same kind of information. Um when I booked my first tour in Canada with Yuri and Tony, that was 1996. I booked that with phoning and an old-fashioned fax. Uh, <laughs> and that that worked, in yeah. a way. I mean, I booked tours in Norway and Scandinavia just by uh, with a normal phone. Yeah. And we drove there with a car without a tom-tom and everything, got lost mm. in the forest and, yeah. you know. Uh, but basically, it worked out. Mm. Uh, the thing now is that, I mean, it's cheaper to fly, uh, you have all these 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 uh, musical uh, meetings like in jazz, what we had last week, and, yeah. and all these, these, I mean, people have so much, it's so structured in a way that everybody can 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 fish in the same five, in the same water. Yeah. Um, and that makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, in one way, uh, Competition and in the other way, uh, technology yeah. uh, makes it in a way essential that that young people uh, start to think 
about a sort of strategy uh, how to how to actually book gigs or how to make a project or a band successful. Hmm. Uh, if you make an album, when you want to release it, uh, do you have a release tour? Uh, and yeah, basically what I people teach always is that they have to think from inside out because that's the only weapon we have. Hmm. You know what I always do? I mean, I will not, teach now my whole class of course people can do that later <laughs> no, but it is it is interesting i feel like you're you're well positioned to talk about this stuff and yeah well it's it's uh, what i normally do is that i show them as uh, a couple of out of office replies i get like thousands of them every day almost hmm. i mean compared to how much emails i send yeah and basically what you always hear is yeah dear musicians great to uh, have your mail uh, if you are interested we call you yeah. Goodbye. And of course, we know Nobody's nothing will happen. You. <laughs> you know. So um, then, I uh, I once actually um, was bored in the Christmas holidays. <laughs> I had actually some time, um, so I thought I'm going to re- react on this out of office reply. So mm. I wrote a huge, a really long email to the guy, and mm-hmm. I mean, I call him already for 15 years. He's never reacting on anything, mm. never. And it was a really long email that I explained to him, well, listen, uh, I'm a musician. If I make a new album, I have a new band. This takes me two years of my life. I have to think about the concept, uh, then rehearse and trial and error and making, you know, uh, compose maybe or make sketches. So, um, um, and we both know that you will never call me, you Mm -hmm. know. So uh, I think it's my right as a musician to call you, to speak to you, to inspire you, to actually tell you a bit what's going on because this will give me a fair chance. Yeah. And then, guess what? He reacted. Hmm. <laughs> so I got a really long mail back and ah. he, he was totally pissed off. He was super angry. <laughs> um, but that was kind of interesting. So I wrote an even longer mail and this went on for... So it was on a certain moment a small book already. Okay. And that took like five days in the Christmas holiday. On a certain moment, I had the feeling, well, it probably will not generate a gig anyway. Yeah. And it takes quite a lot of time. So on a certain moment, uh, he, re- he wrote something like, um, yeah, you know, I'm just running this place and I have a paid day job and uh, I don't have time for all these mails. So I thought, well, that's a good point, you know. Yeah. That's exactly my point because I'm a professional musician. You are an amateur yeah. because you have a paid day job. So mm. you have to do this in some spare time. For me, it's serious. So imagine I'm a banker and you are a banker, but you are a banker as a a hobbyist. (laughs) And we try to actually set up a meeting. This will never work, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of an interesting lesson. Um, So basically what I explained them with these out-of-office replies, the strongest weapon we have as musicians is basically work from inside out. And inside out means know why you want to do a certain thing mm. you know you have this uh, uh, this all this uh, I've been to a lot of these business meetings for corporate business companies yeah. um, I mean most people tell you the same and basically selling music is like you're not selling music but you're selling emotions people want to feel something so if you realize that you don't sell your music, but you sell the thing, what you want that people feel, it's mm-hmm. already easier because you know, okay, it might fit here, might not fit there. And you know actually better what you have to say. Yeah. 
you know, I always make the joke that, uh, okay, if you are a booker and I'm a drummer and I have a quartet and I say, hey man, I have this cool new quartet and uh, yeah, we play a couple of standards and uh, but we also play own compositions, you know, that's cool. And we all have a girlfriend and our girlfriends, they hate jazz, but they really like our music. Mm-hmm. Want to buy it? You know, <laughs> it's not the best story, I think. <laughs> no, you know? clearly. <laughs> but believe it or not, some people are doing it like that because they don't know where to start. Yeah. And I think if you want to sell something, you have to really feel that you want to sell it. That you really feel this is so super cool. This has to be in the world. This is super interesting. It's new, it's fresh, it's different. Uh, and I can actually explain why I am in this band, why mm. I am doing this. Like what I was explaining about the trio with Brahm and Sonna, it, it's, I can crystal clear explain why I want to do this and why I think it's urgent yeah. and, and necessary to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same when I'm selling the quartet with Yuri. I can immediately explain why uh, it's important that this music is there. Um, basically, the why question is always about uh, feeling and contribution, I think. So you have to feel yourself that you want to do it. It has to be something what you feel and what other people feel. And you have to ask yourself the question, okay, what do I actually contribute mm. to the world and to the music in general? And I was reading a book uh, couple of months ago about how to become happy <laughs> okay <laughs> you have a lot of these books yeah. it's not that i'm not happy i'm super happy and i feel totally blessed with my life and all these great inspiring people i can work and travel with mm-hmm. um but i had some time and uh um actually it was interesting what was in the book mm. and basically uh what he was writing was that contribution is one third of happiness yeah yeah, yeah. So if you actually can contribute something to a community, to the world, to other people, that's basically important. Yeah. So if you know what you contribute and why you want to contribute that, that's basically what you have to communicate if you want to sell something. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Um, and it's it's a, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like this is a conversation that that people don't have enough somehow. Um, in amongst musicians, certainly. Like yeah, but it's, uh, it's not everything, of course. There's much more. Yeah. And uh, you have to stay on track and you have to call people and uh, not be afraid to piss off. And uh, <laughs> uh, basically, it's important to realize that you are a musician and you can be a musical entrepreneur at the same time. Yeah. But the musicianship is in a certain way. You d- develop your music in the way you want. Uh, and to sell it, it's something totally different. And yeah. music and selling, they don't have communication with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it should be. Because yeah. if it, they have communication, then it hurts. Yeah. People actually say, well, I don't like it. Can you bring a different singer? <laughs> uh, whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so you've got to be, at the same time, the musician who's very like strict about what he wants to make and at the same time be the the, the salesman who... It's a bit like like being uh, if you are an artist you have to be you have to be sensitive and most people who work in art that's always what I'm explaining to the students they are sensitive mm-hmm. people kids who are studying on the art school of course they are sensitive otherwise they would do something different yeah. 
But I also explain them, well, the promoters and all the people who actually want to book you, they're also sensitive yeah. because they work also in the art circuit, which yeah, is yeah. nice in a way. But if you are going to sell it, act like an elephant. Mm. So you have a skin which is as this, yeah. you know, like one <laughs> meter. Yeah. So that's impossible to actually go through that. Yeah. So you have to be two persons in a way. Yeah, because I feel like it's often quite difficult to fight that cynicism that... Um, installs itself certainly amongst musicians you know at a certain point when you really because I think most musicians have that belief that what they're doing is the best thing or at least I hope they do um, and yet like you say you hit up against all of these like auto response emails and nobody ever reach, like I, I mean I'm always impressed by people like you that that manage to break through that and like you say you're not a quitter so you Oh. Like maintain that positive attitude somehow. Yeah, you always. I mean, I I, I always see new opportunities quite far ahead. Mm -hmm. So when I start something new, then I already see. Hey, hey. Well, in three years we can be there. Yeah. So that can be a goal. Okay, that means that we have to do now this, and then in three months that, and then next year that, and then in two years that, mm. and then it makes it a bit easier to to overlook uh, where you want to go to in a certain way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, that's also an advice I give to people. Always look one year and five years ahead. Yeah. So always ask yourself a question. Okay, where do I want to be in one year? Okay, there. Okay, then you have to start with all those small steps today. Yeah. And where do you want to be in five years? That's a bigger kind of thing. Maybe yeah. you will never go there, but you always have to set a one and a five-year goal. Yeah. It gives a sort of direction to your life. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No. Interesting stuff. Um, yeah. Yost, we've been speaking for over an hour now. Yeah. Um, yeah time. <laughs> time flies. Time is not existing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that that's not things you want to hear from drummers, I think. No. But, um, well, time's flexible. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, I always like to end the show by asking my guests if there's something that they want to recommend that people check out. Um, it can be a book, a movie, a artist exhibition, whatever it is. It could also be music if you like. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, well, we, um, what I think what is interesting in this uh, kind of conversation, um, a big inspiration for me um, was before I started with the trio and still is a group called Cadona, which is a trio with three musicians who unfortunately all three passed away. Uh, it's with Colin Walcott on... Um, uh, Tabla and Sitar. Uh, mm. He's on a lot of ECM records. Nana Vasconcelos, uh, Brazilian player who plays beer and bow and a lot of percussion. And Don yeah. Cherry on trumpet and also vocals and a lot of percussion. Yeah. Uh, they made a couple of albums for ECM and the albums are uh, in one uh, triple CD box, so three CDs called, mm. uh, I think it's called the Cardona Triology or so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's interesting because we spoke a bit about world music. Mm. I mean, there's for sure a world music aspect in their music as well. I mean, they don't play Indian or African or jazz or whatever. Specific, but it's all there. But it's more the feeling behind it. Uh, what I also like very much about that music is that, I mean, they play compositions, but they there's not a climax. Mm. So the music is in a certain way, then it is there for five, six, 10, 15 minutes, and then it stops. Yeah. And then something else comes. So it's not music what is actually wants to prove something or what is in a certain way uh, 
you know, in jazz or or even when I improvise with the trio, it's very human that you want to want to create a certain uh, uh, development in the music mm-hmm. you make. And what I really like about that music is there's no development. Yeah. It's just it's just being in the moment. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And I think being in the moment is is an important thing in life because being in the moment is only the reality what is there and the rest is basically bullshit you know <laughs> because you never know what will happen i mean i can i can go out of the door here and die yeah please don't no i, I i'm not planning that <laughs> but it's uh, i mean being in the moment is the only reality what's there and i think that's for me also in making music one of the most important things, you know, because if you are in the moment, you you create what's actually necessary and what 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 is important. Yeah, cool. Joost, um, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank um, you. Is there anything else that we haven't mentioned that you would like people to know about? Things you're going to be up to, uh, things you can look forward to. Um, uh, well, people can always go to my website, which yep. is myname.com. You yep. find a lot of stuff there. Yeah, there'll be links to that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty active on Facebook as well. And uh, there are always coming new uh, new things and new tours. Uh, I'm still playing quite a lot with the trio and, and with Yuri. Uh, in autumn, a couple of new tours are coming up and hopefully the trio album will be released uh, then. So... Uh, Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, thanks so much, Jest. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. That was Jost Leibart. There'll be links to his website in the show notes at soundofthemoment.com where you can find his tour dates as well as purchase music from any of his many projects. I would like to thank my fellow members of KJO for providing the intro and outro music that you can hear behind me right now. There is a Patreon page you could visit at patreon.com slash soundofthemoment or simply follow links on the soundofthemoment.com front page to go to the Patreon campaign. And there you could make uh, donations on a monthly basis to help me keep this show alive. Um, It does cost me money every month to host and get equipment and all that kind of stuff. So if you've got a couple of bucks to spare, please consider going to that Patreon campaign. If you want to reach me with any comments, feedback, whatever, uh, you can do that on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can also do it on Facebook via the Sound of the Moment page. And you can email me directly at pat at soundofthemoment.com. Please subscribe to this show. Uh, tell any of your friends who you think might be interested in listening to it that uh, they should do so. And uh, leave a favorable rating or review in iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever you like to use. Um, All of those things are really helpful to me. To end the show, I will play more music from Joost Leibart. This is a track from his project Batik, which we didn't actually mention much during the conversation, but it ties in nicely with his work with pianist Wolfert Bredehode, as he is featured on this record alongside guitarist Ed Verhoof and bassist Mark Hanstra. The track is called Intertwined. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.